0: All right, Mark chapter 2 today. Before we start, we have a lot of young people here today, and uh, I know that it's difficult for you to sit and listen for a long time. But let's remember, this is God's Word, not my Word. And we're trying to explain it so you understand it, and so you understand what Jesus has done for you. So do your best to pay attention. And not be fooling around, not be talking, writing notes and things of that nature, but listen to God's holy word. It's quite clear from the first chapter of Mark's gospel that Jesus Christ demonstrated his divine authority in his ministry. You remember that when he came and he taught the people, it was In a different way than the religious leaders of his day, they really appreciated and they could tell that he was very authoritative in the way that he spoke. He further displayed that authority by calling uh, men, his disciples, to follow him and serve with him, by healing people of all kinds of diseases and ailments, and uh, also by casting out demons. Now, the story we're looking at today adds another very important dimension to his authority, and that is his ability to forgive people of their sins. Now, the healing of the paralytic begins a section of five incidences of conflict with the Jewish religious authorities, And each of these, the servant of God makes a statement or a claim that challenges the thinking of the day in which he lived. Now they reveal the unbelief uh, deep in the hearts of those who should have been the first to recognize who Jesus was and bow to his authority. They convey the truth that even when a person evidences miraculous power, uh, power to heal, power to cast out demons, that these people still can question the divine authority behind those actions. Now, our story today also reveals the persevering faith of those who come to Jesus, not just for healing, but also for forgiveness. There's a connection between human affliction and divine forgiveness that we've not yet seen as we look through this gospel. Now, not every illness or disease is a direct result of sin, although some surely are, but our physical affirmities. Uh, infirmities are associated with the, with the entrance of sin into the world way back in the Garden of Eden and the, the death that results from these things. If Jesus demonstrates his power to heal in these kinds of ailments, something only God can do, he also has the power to forgive sin. And that's the underlying issue of his healing this man with some kind of paralysis. As we study another of Jesus' wonders, there are two things I want us to understand. First of all, the response of Jesus to faith is always forgiveness. When people are willing to come to him, believing in his authority, not only to heal them physically, but to provide for them forgiveness of sin, the Lord always responds positively. And secondly, the proof of Christ's authority to forgive is in his power to heal. He, he uh, uh, impacted that uh, man with healing, and he was able to pardon his sin because of his faith. So this dem- was demonstrated in the test he presented to the scribes that day uh, who questioned his right to forgive. The verifiable evidence of the seen, the healing of the paralytic, was proof positive of the unseen, his ability to forgive sins. So those who come to Christ in faith will receive forgiveness. Those who are merely amazed by his power, well, they have to exercise faith. And those who challenge the authority need to change their thinking or be eternally lost. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray today that you'll help us to understand uh, what you taught through this healing and that we can be forgiven of our sins today just as much as this man did back then. Bless us as we look to your word, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. All right, the first thing we wanna look at here, verses one through five, is Jesus always responds to faith with forgiveness. And we begin here with the scene of the event, and uh, we have to remember that these, uh, these five stories, two stories, about uh, uh, opposition that Jesus would face, they're not in chronological order. Mark's put them together here to display for us that even though Jesus was very popular, there were still people who opposed him, Course, religious authorities of the day, and that would increase over time until finally he was betrayed, he was brought to these trials, and finally he's crucified um, uh, before them. Now verse one tells us that he came back to the city of Capernaum, which was his um, uh, central place from which ministry went out. And this occasion seems to occur after the Galilean campaign that started back in chapter 1, verse 39. And by this time, it seems that the region has been sufficiently saturated with his ministry, so his power to heal may not be as sensational and draw as much enthusiasm as it had when it first began. People kind of get used to these things. And his his team's able to come back to the city of Capernaum and pretty much unnoticed. But it doesn't take long before people hear in verse 1 that he's back in the house. This would be very likely Peter's home. And there's no time really to get any rest or recuperation because they start packing the place out real quickly. And as people pack that house, Jesus begins preaching. Now, there's something here that you may not know. Uh, Archaeological research in Capernaum has actually uncovered what they believe to be Peter's home. And it's actually underneath a Byzantine uh, church that was built in the 5th century. And you can look down below uh, where the cellar would be, way down in there, and you can see this little place which we think was Peter's home. wasn't very big. You probably could have fit four of them in this room right here. Uh, it had a few rooms, maybe a little bit bigger than the common Palestinian home. But that's where uh, they came and they stayed when they were in Capernaum at his home. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, uh, evidence that this was later converted into a small church, and it wouldn't have really taken very much of a crowd to really start packing it, making it so you couldn't get in the doorway, spilling out into the, uh, the courtyard and even the street as people hear about Jesus coming again. And as he's speaking, something quite unusual and surprising occurs. So let's find out what that was. As we see these men... Uh, persevere in their faith to bring a friend to Jesus. Verse three, then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Now we need to understand um, that this man was severely disabled. Now uh, you kids think about this. If you couldn't move your legs and you couldn't move your arms i'm saying that most of you would probably go nuts you couldn't run around you couldn't play uh you you uh, would you would be disabled nowadays you'd be in a wheelchair everybody have to push you everywhere and they would have to take care of you they would have to feed you all kinds of things would uh, be very hard and difficult for you to handle now we're not exactly sure what the problem was with this man Other than it was some form of paralysis. Uh, This word is not very definitive. Uh, uh, It could have been the result of many different kinds of diseases where you lack muscular control. You can't control parts of your body, your arms, your legs, your feet, your hands, and they're just kind of hanging limp there. And so these men bring him on his bed, his stretcher-like pallet, you might uh, say that you could carry someplace. They each carry a a corner of it, and off they go to bring him to Jesus, hoping that he may be cured of this horrible malady. But the problem is when they get there in verse 4, they could not come near him because of the crowd. And we, we know that it was packed. You, you couldn't get into the house. There were so many people around there. You couldn't get through the door, especially four guys at the same time with somebody they're carrying on a stretcher. And most of us probably would have said, well, you know what, Joe, we'll just have to come back tomorrow. It's too packed out here. We're not going to be able to get through, so we'll try again tomorrow. But not these fellows. They pressed on. They figured out how to get this fellow to Jesus and uh, was kind of uh, ingenious. Now, back in those days, uh, your home would have had a flat roof. And uh, it would have had access, not from inside your home, but outside your home. They would attach a stairway going up to the roof. And uh, you could go up there on a hot day and maybe get a bit of a breeze. On a hot evening, you could go up there and sleep. Your dad might have a little shop up there where he worked. So it was sturdy enough to go up there to move around to, to put things uh, usually it was constructed of wood beams, maybe three feet apart, and they would take some sticks and put them across the beams. Sometimes they would put real thin limestone slabs there, and they would cover it up either with thatch and straw uh, or uh, those things mixed with mud or some kind of mortar. And when it dried all out, it would be a real hard surface. <clears throat> so these guys somehow make their way around to that staircase and they get their buddy up there and they they come to the middle and they start digging it out. Now again, this is hard clay. So they're digging it out, they're digging it out. Now imagine you're there, you're downstairs in the room. And you're listening to Jesus and you hear all this going up there and you wonder what's going on. And all of a sudden, you know, some dust starts coming down and little Pieces of clay start coming down, and your kids are in the front row, and you're saying, <laughs> "Look at that! What the, that's funny." Some guys might even do that. The older folks behind you probably be scowling and wonder what's going on. So, who's up there doing this, disturbing this great meeting with Jesus? And I don't know if Jesus was kind of wondering what was going on too. So, these guys with their friend have enough faith to figure out some way to get him. To Jesus, They're not worried about what everybody's thinking. Apparently, they weren't worried about the damage caused uh, to break through the roof. They're not thinking about that. Their concern was getting their friend to the only person who could help them, and that was Jesus. So they persevered in spite of the obstacles they found that day to get this person to him. And I wonder if we have the same concern today of bringing our friends and our uh, uh, people in our neighborhoods to the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, Jesus responds to this, not in a negative way. saying, what in the world are you guys doing bringing this guy in here and disrupting my meeting and causing a big uh, uh, problem here? No, Jesus, what does he notice? Look in verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he sees their faith in action as they bring their friend to him. Now, uh, faith in Mark's gospel is closely related to miraculous actions. The uh, The expectation that God or Jesus can supernaturally alleviate a problem, whether that be an illness or some kind of a physical danger. And in these situations, uh, they think that Jesus is capable of solving the problem, even supernaturally. But the faith of these men is rewarded not by something supernatural, but by something Jesus says. He says To the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. So what does that indicate? What's the reason for this response? Well, we really wouldn't expect that kind of response. We would expect him to be healed, not a statement of forgiveness. But again, we remember that healing and forgiveness have a connection that's spiritual in nature. The rabbis would teach there's no sick man healed of his sickness until all of his sins have been forgiven him. So sickness and uh, sin and forgiveness all connect together. And it was common in that day that illness or disease or the palsy, the paralytic, uh, some kind of infirmity was a judgment. Of God upon that person because of their sin. Now sometimes that might be true, but certainly not always. And we may think that this perhaps was the case because of Jesus' response in this situation. Perhaps the Lord Jesus divinely discerned that this man's condition was the result of sin. Or perhaps the man himself was under some kind of guilt or conviction uh, that he may have uh, been being judged or or, or, uh, God's dealing with him about something in his life and he had an accident and this happened. We don't really know the background, but that could be uh, going on here as well. And perhaps... This man was concerned with the deeper need in his mind, anyways, of forgiveness, rather than just being healed, which would have, of course, been a great thing. Well, at any rate, the first thing Jesus deals with is that deeper spiritual need of forgiveness. So he says, son, your, your sins are forgiven. Now, this response reminds us of the primary reason that Jesus came into the world in the first place, to provide the sacrifice that would satisfy God's wrath against our sin. And once we confess our sinfulness and we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus as our Savior, he's able to grant us forgiveness and wipe the slate clean. Jesus always responds to those who come to him in faith with forgiveness. Whatever you've committed as sin, lying and uh, disobeying parents and cheating and stealing, all kinds of sins that we commit, he will forgive them if we will turn to him in faith. But in this story, his authority to do this, to forgive sins, is also challenged. So let's look at the rest of it. And here we see that the proof of Christ's authority to forgive is displayed in his power to heal. There's a connection between these types of power. Now, there were some other people there today who were not really people of faith. And they call into question the authority of Jesus to forgive sins. We find them in verses six and seven. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They were thinking in their heads. They were pondering. They were thinking like I know you kids do in school all day when the teacher's teaching you. You're just thinking about all that stuff going on and you're not daydreaming or anything. You're just really with it. Well, these guys were really with it because these guys were, uh, these were men You think of a scribe as somebody who writes things down and copies things down, but they didn't do that. These were men who were uh, uh, people who knew the law of God upside down and backward. They were experts in interpreting the law and making applications of God's law. And over many, many, many years, their teachings had developed into almost a secondary law that in their mind was equal to the actual scripture's. Of God, but it became a burden to the people because it was impossible for them uh, to even come close to keeping the law. Now, if we went over to Luke's account of what happened here, he tells us that these scribes came from every village in Galilee, as well as Judea and Jerusalem. So uh, they're, they're a group of men from all over the place coming to listen to Jesus. So the ministry of Jesus was drawing the attention of these religious leaders who loved their own authority and they viewed Jesus as a threat to that authority. So they didn't really come to consider what Jesus had to say and compare it to scripture. They came to entrap him in some way uh, uh, in the law. And their lack of faith resulted in this kind of thinking and reasoning about Jesus' authority that was really all kind of messed up. Now, when Jesus said in verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven you, he doesn't say, I forgive you of your sins. It's kind of left blank there. As we go on in the story, it does become clear in verse 10 when Jesus says he does have the authority and he's going to prove it. But at this point in time, these guys are taking it in that way. Who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? Nobody can forgive sins except for God. And if he thinks he can forgive sins, he's a blasphemer. He's speaking evil of God. He's taking the prerogative that only God can have to forgive sins. Now that was correct. God alone can forgive sins. Human beings can't. Now, if somebody does something and they wrong you and they come and they confess to you and ask your forgiveness, you can say, yeah, I grant your forgiveness. But uh, you can't forgive that person's sin eternally. You can't get rid of it like the Lord can. So it's a different idea, a different concept here. Um, No man has the authority to forgive sin but God, and if somebody claims to have that authority, well, they're taking a prerogative they don't have, and they're committing this sin of blasphemy, and those men did not think even the Messiah uh, had that kind of authority. One commentator wrote, to claim to do what only God could do and constitute himself God's spokesman in declaring sins forgiven was to infringe the divine prerogative. And blasphemy, blasphemy included this, and irreverent and profane and impious speech toward God, and its penalty, according to the law, was death. And eventually, this would be one of the accusations against Jesus that would lead to his crucifixion. So we're, we're looking at the very first instance of it here. But Jesus' power to heal is proof of his authority to forgive sins. And that's what he's doing as he brings this test, so to speak, before these uh, men who are there not really to listen but to criticize. In verse 8, Jesus is not unaware of what's going on in the very hearts of these men. Immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he asked them why. All right? So uh, they don't verbalize this yet. They're just thinking about it in their heads. Maybe they're looking back and forth at each other. And sometimes you can read a person's face. You can read their actions. And uh, you can kind of know what they're thinking but Jesus, because he was not just human, he was divine, was able to uh, understand what was going on in their minds. And he draws it out now verbally, so not only they, but the people are there, can understand he does have the power to forgive sins, and he's going to prove it by healing this person. So he challenges them about their inner reasoning And poses this question. He says, now why do you reason about these things in your heart? Why are you thinking this way? And then he says, well, what's easier? Is it easier to say something to this paralytic, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, to heal him? Which is easier? Well, in one sense, neither one's easier if you don't have the authority to uh, do what you say you can do. Only the Lord has the power and authority to do either one of these things. However, if you want visible proof, it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven you because how can you prove that they were? Or that they weren't, that that actually happened. You have no way to verify the result of your statement. However, if you told someone who was laying there uh, half paralyzed to get up and to take your bed and go home, well, that is verifiable. If the person doesn't respond and they're not healed, well, you're a big, fat fraud. You're a big liar. You don't have any power and authority at all. But what if he can get up? What if he can walk? Well, then by doing the thing that is harder in your thinking than that which is easier proves that if I can do this, I can do that. And so he's proving that he does have the power to raise up this man and that power proves he is more than a man and he can also forgive sins. A visible healing is hard evidence, whereas a merely verbal claim to forgive invites skepticism. So Jesus is going to prove his power and his ability to forgive sin by healing this man. Now, As he's making this statement, in verse 10, he's speaking, first of all, to these scribes. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Okay, so he's speaking to them. I want you to know that I have authority to forgive sins. Now, we think of God in heaven being able to forgive sins, but now I'm on earth and I can forgive sin. So what is that saying about Jesus? Jesus. Is he merely a man or is he more than a man? And this is what he wants to show them. This is what he wants to prove that they will know he, a human being, more than a human being, has this power to forgive people of their sins. Now, Jesus uses a, a frame uh, or a, um, a phrase or a title about himself. Son of man. This is the first time in Mark's gospel he uses this. And this is a title that Jesus preferred to address himself. Mark uses this 14 times in the rest of his gospel. And this is a phrase that can mean that I'm I'm a human. I'm a son of man. But Jesus used this designation with its messianic overtones. And if we went back to Daniel's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we would find that it was used there in a supernatural way about someone who was going to come, a king who was going to come, present himself to the Ancient of Days, which is God himself, And he's going to destroy all the kingdoms of the earth and set up his own kingdom. And this is something that the Jews hoped the Messiah was going to do. So it's got messianic overtones without using the name Messiah. Jesus did not refer to himself as Messiah. That's something you had to decide for yourself. And back then, uh, the term Messiah had negative political associations that he didn't want to to be attached to. So he uses this Son of Man title, which would have brought the uh, knowing Jew back to Daniel chapter 7 and make that connection, that relationship, and help them to understand who he was, that he was more than a man. So people had to decide from Jesus' teaching, from his miracles, whether he was just a man or that he was the man prophesied in the Old Testament who was the Jewish Messiah. Okay, so he's looking at the scribes. He says, I want you to understand I do have authority to forgive sin. Then he turns to the paralytic the man who's laying there on the pallet, and he says to him, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. So here's proof positive that Jesus could both heal and forgive sins. If the man is able to obey that command, if he can rise up, then case closed. If he's not able to do this, if he's still laying there in his disability, then Jesus is a fake. He's a blasphemer. He's a liar. And he certainly can't forgive sins. Well, the paralytic does get up. Immediately, he feels... His strength surging through his body. He takes no time to stand up, take up his bed and head home. And uh, I believe Luke tells us he's glorifying God as he does so and as he should. And he went out in the presence of them all. So everybody was there. Now is making way for this guy to walk home. They all see this going on. There's no... Uh, denying that Jesus performed this uh, miracle, that this man who was paralyzed, who couldn't walk, is now healed. I wonder what the scribes were thinking. They certainly couldn't say he was a blasphemer if he was able to heal like this. Only God could do that through him. And uh, it should change their mind about what they were thinking. We'll find out it never really does. But Jesus is proving that by doing in the mind of the scribe what was the more difficult should make them understand that what they might think is less difficult because it's not as verifiable is possible because of what he did physically. Now the crowd responds here as they typically do in these healing situations, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, they've seen different things happen, but they've never seen anything exactly like this. They were awed, and for the first time, it's mentioned here that they glorified God. They gave God the glory. So that's the first instance where the Lord is honored, He's seen as being behind all of this. Nobody could deny his power was evidence as these people cry out, they never had witnessed anything like this before. Now, it's not really clear if their response included what Jesus taught about forgiveness through the miracle or just the miracle, the healing itself. What is clear is that there was much food for thought, as he demonstrated his authority to forgive sins through his power to heal. And there's much for us to think about as well today. First of all, the paralytic is another physical demonstration to us of the paralyzing power of sin. We are as weak and powerless spiritually as this man was physically. He could not heal himself. He could do nothing to change his condition. He must come to Christ and Christ alone for healing. And we must come to Christ alone for forgiveness of sin. We cannot do anything to change our our, our sinful condition, but trust in what the Lord Jesus has done for us at Calvary. He provided the only cure for sin through his death and resurrection. And only he is capable of raising us up from spiritual paralysis due to sin. Secondly, this man would never have gotten to Jesus without the help of others. To remind it to us that we have a responsibility to help people come to the Lord. Most people who get saved do so through the agency of other Christians. They share a testimony with them, they bring someone to church, they hear uh, something from the pulpit, uh, they get witnessed to by a neighbor or a workmate. These are different ways that we. Are used of God to help others come to Christ. We have a responsibility in this area. Then there are always people who oppose the gospel of God's Word, like the scribes did. The Word of God reveals the only means of salvation, but many oppose it today. The Word of God conveys true morality that the world rejects today. The Christian faith, even in America, is consistently being marginalized. And we need to continue to stand in the face of opposition like Jesus did by portraying the truth about who he is and what he can do. And finally, we need to think about the truth that there were three Types of people present that day. First of all, there were people of faith who believed that Jesus had the power to heal and they took their friend to him. They learned that day that Jesus also had the power and the authority to forgive sin. Then there were people present who were observers These folks were there, they were curious, uh, they were listening to Jesus, perhaps they were anticipating him to perform another miracle. They even praised God because of what they witnessed that day. But did they really believe in Christ? And finally, there were critics present. Men versed in scripture, but unwilling to compare what the scripture said with what Jesus said, and so they were skeptical about his authority. So in which of those categories are you today? Are you a believer? Are you an inquirer, an observer? Are you a skeptic? Like the crowd that observed Christ's healing power and authority to forgive sins? You have to make up your mind about who he is and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful for these stories of the miracles of Jesus, of his healing people, of uh, deep disability. But Lord, it reminds us of the connection between physical infirmity and spiritual needs. Lord, we confess that we're no better off spiritually than that man with paralysis was. We can't heal ourselves, we can't fix ourselves, we can only fall upon your mercy uh, as our Savior. And we pray this morning, if someone's not sure of their relationship to you, that they would come to Christ in faith, asking forgiveness of their sins, that he might grant it to them. Then, Lord, we would ask you to help us to be like those men who brought him to the Lord Jesus in the first place, to be concerned about the souls of others and do what we can to reach them with the gospel of Christ. We do pray, Lord, that you'll help us to stand against the growing opposition to your word, even in our own country today. We might have the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge that Jesus did to deal with those who oppose the ministry. So, Lord, in these different ways, help us to be obedient to your word today. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.